Our topic this week for our Depressed People of the Bible seminar is Elijah, Highs and Lows. And this is based on one of the people out of the Depressed People of the Bible book. And we'll also be looking at some principles from the book by Dr. Neil Nedley, Depression, The Way Out. Now, one thing on the Depressed People of the Bible book just this week, uh, it is now in audio form, which is very good because uh, you're know, driving along, able to just listen to it uh, that way, or jogging or walking. Uh, also, or a lot of times, uh, people, when we're going through depression, it's hard for us to focus, and so having an audio format, a person can read and listen at the same time to, to really help, and so that's available online. Okay, so before we get into Elijah, let's uh, uh, listen to Dr. Neil Dudley, give us a few minute uh, information about two more of the hits that he has identified. He's identified 10 depression hits, and that when a person gets over four hits, chances are that they will have uh, clinical depression, but when they bring that hit level down below the four level, then uh, even if they have two, one, two, or three, uh, doesn't matter what's going on in their life, they still will not fall under clinical depression and be able to cope with and handle uh, those, those depression hits. And so the key is bringing the level down. And so we'll be talking about two. You know, he briefly talks, and more, much more of all this information is in the book, Depression of the Way Out. Uh, which will really help you to understand all these hits and how to bring the hit levels down. Welcome to Let's Talk Mental Health, where we bring awareness to the causes and solutions of mental health conditions. We are in our third part of a five-part series on the 10 hit depression categories. The hits we're looking at today are nutrition and toxic. So let's start with nutrition. What is a nutrition hit? Well, this is where we are not on a diet that's conducive to forming the brain chemicals necessary for optimal mental health. And so there's a number of different dietary factors that can be involved that can give us this hit. Now, in the depression and anxiety assessment test, which is a statistically validated test, uh, there's 12 areas of nutrition that we look at. And if you have four of those areas that are not good, it's going to show up as a nutrition hit. Now, you may end up having a nutrition hit even if one area is not good, but if there's four or more, that's pretty bad. And it is going to produce mental uh, health consequences as a result, particularly if you have other hits. As far as nutrition that we're looking out for, is there anything, uh, or is it more about what you're getting in your diet? It's more about what you're getting in your diet. Are you getting enough tryptophan? Are you eating enough foods to get that? Are you getting enough uh, tyrosine? Are you getting enough omega-3? Are you getting enough iron? Are you getting enough zinc? You know, and so there's 12 different areas that we're looking at to see if you're getting enough of the nutrition necessary on a regular basis to be able to form uh, the important brain chemicals that sustain good brain health. The second hit, uh, a toxic hit, what is a toxic hit? A toxic hit is actually a literal uh, toxin like lead or mercury or some other toxin, too much copper, uh, that can actually cause adverse mental health consequences. It can cause depression, anxiety, it can cause even hallucinations, it can cause insomnia. Uh, these toxins we're often unaware of until we're measured and we don't realize sometimes 
that our lifestyles might have um, increased our risk um, significantly of getting particularly heavy metals in our system. Arsenic is another one. Uh, and uh, cadmium, and there's a whole list of toxins, bismuth, uh, that can produce some adverse mental health consequences. How do we test for that, or is there a way that I could look to see if I have certain toxins in my, in my diet or that I'm getting? Well, uh, one is the depression and anxiety assessment test. It's a test that's a screening test to see if the, um, our background it makes us conducive to getting these toxins into our system. Uh, another way is, of course, measuring these toxins, uh, particularly in the urine, sometimes hair analysis, uh, but particularly um, urinary analysis can uh, uh, screen for a number of these toxins uh, in our system. Uh, and uh, then uh, sometimes there's uh, blood levels of the toxins that we look at. Uh, particularly in the area of copper. That's far better looking at it in the blood and how much free copper is in our system uh, to know whether that's an issue or not. Now, if you happen to identify some of these toxins, what do you recommend to reduce or eliminate them? Well, the first thing we often do is get rid of the toxin exposure. And so if it's mercury, for instance, get rid of fish. Fish is the most common intake of mercury. Uh, and so we'd have to go to a fish-free diet. Uh, we might also want to actually bind on to the toxin. For instance, if it's excess copper, we want to not only get rid of seafood and seaweed, which are the highest sources of copper, and maybe mushrooms, which are the highest land plant in copper, but we would want to give the patient zinc to get rid of the copper and zinc in the proper amounts because copper is a trace mineral that we want to have in small amounts, but in too much it is a toxin. And so uh, we would have to also measure the levels over time to see that the free copper is coming down and there'll be some very positive brain chemistry changes take place when we start to eliminate these toxins. Well, thanks for breaking these two hits down for us. In our next part, we are looking at two more hits, the developmental hit and the social-slash-complicated grief hit. So make sure and stay tuned to see that next episode. This is Let's Talk Mental Health. I'm your host, Nathan Nedley, and as always, stay healthy, live happy. And we'll be looking at those 10 hits again in relation to Elijah in just a little bit. So let's get into the story of Elijah, starting at 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30. King Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. He married Jezebel, the daughter of the king of Sidon. And we'll cover Ahab even more next week. And we will have this parallel between these two people living at the same time, King Ahab and prophet Elijah. Both of them experienced depression. One of them came out of it. One of them did not. Uh, one handled it biblically and healthfully. One did not. So we have a nice comparison. Both had similar experiences. Uh, similar to as we saw over the last few weeks with David and King Saul, King David and King Saul, uh, both having depression, both living at the same time, some having, uh, both having uh, some similarity of challenges, and one handling it biblically and properly and dealing with it, and one not. And so it's a nice, good uh, case study comparison. Chapter 17, verse 1. Elijah said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be do, uh, uh, not be dew nor rain these years. 
except at my word. And it stopped raining. Verse 2, the word of the Lord came to him, hide by the brook Cherith, I have commanded ravens to feed you, and the ravens brought him food. So Elijah, obedient to God's calling upon him, goes to Ahab and to the king, who could kill him right there on the spot for calling him out for his sins. And then God impresses him to go to the brook Cherith, and he obeys, and he goes, and God miraculously providing food for him from a raven, from ravens bringing him uh, bread to eat. And we don't know how long he was there. The Bible doesn't say. The, uh, the, the no rain lasts over three and a half years. So I would imagine he was there for more than just a few days or even a week or more because, uh, or so because otherwise it wouldn't be worth mentioning. So he must have been there for quite some time. And we think about it, he's there, he's there all alone. And then the birds and, and a little stream there and some trees blowing, he is isolated, he is in solitary confinement. And I think, I forget exactly how long it is, but I think it's like two weeks, according to the, I believe it's the Geneva Convention, that says anything beyond that is, is torture. And that is horrible when uh, even that much solitary confinement, and there are places, uh, even here in this country, where it's been longer than two weeks, uh, people uh, subject to that, and that is cruelty, uh, and puts a tremendous mental strain on people. But we see, uh, biblically and historically, uh, people have been able to handle it, even with that isolation, even longer than the two weeks, uh, if they have a mindset set on God. And one of the big complaints when we're depressed is that we are alone, loneliness. And yet Elijah is not complaining about that. He's not depressed here. He's all alone, but he's not depressed because he's in communion with God. And sometimes when we're depressed and we're complaining about uh, being lonely, uh, a counselor might advise, well, you know, just get involved in some group or make some friends or try and hook them up with friends or, or uh, you know, maybe with friends with their own age or their own interest level and, and try and connect that. Uh, but that's not necessarily the solution uh, because uh, we can be in an area with lots of people. Now, you can be in a big city, you can be living in an apartment or a condo complex with lots of people and no lack of people. And the problem is not so much lack of people but it's interaction on a personal level. And you don't need a lot of people for that. Uh, Elijah didn't need any at this point in his life, but you see that God will provide for him uh, interaction with humans. But, but at this point, he's still at peace and still, and still good with it. And we have social media, with people who are in contact with people all day long and with tons and tons of friends. People don't even know. <laughs> they're, they're friends in the social media. And that shows to be a real lacking and really uh, basically takes away from real interaction. It's real interaction, face-to-face, -face, real face-to-face -face interaction, eye-to-eye, -eye, uh, hearing, and, and even the, you know, through the through, uh, internet type of things, live stream is still not the same as being with people. We need that. God has built that into us. God uh, provided Eve for Adam as a helpmate. He knew we needed that. He created the animals in pairs because they knew that they needed each other. We need that social contact and social media does not do it and actually gives us a false impression of it and can cause even more loneliness than without it. And again, large groups of people is not necessarily a solution to it um, or, or uh, superficial interaction, but it's real personal, uh, first and foremost, personal interaction with God. That's what provides our need. Connecting with our Creator connecting with our Heavenly Father, 
He calls himself our friend, he calls himself our husband, he calls himself our brother. Uh, so on all levels, he meets our social needs if we will allow him to. And let him speak to our hearts. And then he provides all our needs. He'll then provide our social needs. Uh, some people think, well, I need a spouse or I need a friend. You know, and they'll desperately go and look for a spouse and hook up with a spouse. And often it ends disastrous. God is the one who will provide the right, proper friends and relationships and uh, marriage uh, if it's according to his will. As we put our trust in him and faith in him and are content with him. And when we're content with him, then he can share us with others. Uh, and then we will be at peace and then we'll be prepared to be a blessing to others and be able to receive the blessing and the love that they're able to share with us. But until we're content with God, we won't be able to receive from them and we won't be able to give to them. We'll suck them dry and we won't be able to give them anything back and they'll never be able to give us enough and we'll still have an emptiness. Uh, no matter, again, if we're married, have lots of kids, have lots of siblings, uh, be around lots of people, it won't be enough until God fits that need. We allow God to fulfill that need. And to this point in Elijah's life, he's content, he's happy, he's here. And uh, even though he's isolated, and we can be under those type of circumstances also. Uh, but even God in his mercy, he knows that's not great for a long period of time. And so uh, the brook dries up uh, and um, because of the lack of rain and the word of the Lord came to him, go to Sidon. I have commanded a widow to provide for you. And this is really funny if you think about it. God sends him to Sidon. God sends him at this brook of Cherith, which is within Israel. And so he's right underneath Arab, Ahab's nose somewhere, and he can't find him. And then he sends him to Sidon of all places, uh, because that's where Jezebel is from. She's the princess of Sidon. Her father is the king of Sidon. And God could have sent him to Ammon or Moab or Egypt or, you know, some other place. And of all places, this is where God sends him. They still can't find him for a full three and a half years. And so we don't have to fear anything or anyone. God's able to protect us, drones or whatever, or you know, searching your phones or whatever, tra tracking you down, reading your emails. If God wants to protect you, he can protect you. And if he wants you to get arrested or whatever, uh, you know, we're in God's hands. And so God protects him uh, for these three and a half years right under these conditions. It provides this widow, really beautiful story. We don't have time to get into all the stories of Elijah, so feel free to read them on your own. We're just skimming the highlights here. But he goes there, this lady, and she's preparing her last meal just for her and her son. And Elijah shows up and he says, I'm hungry, feed me first. <laughs> Sounds pretty selfish. And, uh, and, 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 and she does, she gives him first. She gives him first. She only has enough for her and a little kid, little child portion. And she feeds him first, she gives him first. And God miraculously provides oil and bread for her, flour for the, two of the, for the three of them through the rest of the time of no rain. And then in that time, during that time when he's with her, uh, the child dies, and Elijah prays for the child, and the child miraculously comes back to life. So God is providing miracle after miracle, uh, giving him boldness to speak to the king, uh, providing birds to feed him food, uh, providing miraculous flour and oil, and, and uh, raising a child from the dead. Very powerful experiences that he's going through. And then after chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. Gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. 
And so Elijah, obedient, obeys again. He's willing to go to Sidon. He's willing to go back to Ahab. And he goes with, with boldness, with chutzpah, and says, uh, it's going to rain. You're the trouble of Israel, uh, Ahab says to him. Not me, you. And often the messenger right, gets the blame. Right? All we're doing is preaching the word of God. All we're doing is telling the truth. And when we're in a, uh, a mode and resistant to God, we don't want to hear from anyone. And, and instead of accounting, accountability and, and humility, and like Saul, instead of accepting and repenting like King David did, we often resist and then we'll blame the, the messenger. And so King Saul attacked David. Now Ahab is attacking Elijah, pointing the blame at others. So he's finding someone else, right? Eve, uh, Adam blaming Eve, Eve blaming the serpent, uh, you know, just passing the blame on someone else. And but Elijah doesn't stand for it. He tells the truth, puts it back, and then tells him to gather all Israel to him. And Ahab goes along with him. We'll see next week. Ahab vacillates a lot and doesn't able to take a stand. That becomes one of his problems. And so all of Israel gathers on Mount Carmel together. Verse 21, Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. People were afraid. They were afraid of Ahab. They were afraid of Jezebel. They were afraid of making a decision and taking a stand. We need to take a stand. We need to decide whether we're going to be for the Lord or not for the Lord. It's not being in both places, partly with God, partly. It's amazing the high percentage of Americans that, uh, or people who say that, that they believe in God. And yet at the same time, we have high percentages of people who are, who are watching X-rated and R-rated movies and pornography and, 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 and alcohol and bars and nightclubs. How can we have both? <laughs> I can have a high percentage in both areas. There's some people who are overlapping into both areas, right, obviously, and that's not good. We need to either be for the Lord or not for the Lord, make our decision one side or the other. That's what Elijah's saying. And that's a good message. And the people don't want to answer so Elijah, he doesn't have a support. He doesn't have a support. All these people are there and they're not supporting him. And Elijah said, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them give us two bulls. Let them choose one for themselves, cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood. But put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood. But put no fire under it. You call on your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And so he's, when Elijah is saying, Elijah is saying, I am, all, I am alone and left, it's true, they had, Jezebel had killed tons of prophets. And the people aren't standing with him. Verse 26, and the prophets of Baal called on, on Baal from morning till noon, they leaped around, they cried aloud, they cut themselves, but there was no voice, no one answered. Elijah mocked them. Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. Maybe he's taking a shower, maybe he's using the potty. I call louder. I mean, he's just trolling them. I mean, he's just mocking them. Elijah had a good sense of humor. And then nothing's happening on their side. Verse 33, and Elijah put the wood in order, cut the bowl, and said, fill four water pots of water, with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice, and the wood three times, 
And the water ran all around the altar and filled the trench with water. Now water is precious. It hasn't rained in three and a half years. And I've been up on Mount Carmel, and I'm not exactly sure exactly where on the mountain he is. There's a statue there, and you know maybe that's the spot. But somewhere up on Mount Carmel is it taking place, and there's no lakes on top of Mount Carmel. Uh, so maybe they're going down to the Mediterranean Sea, getting some uh, salt water there, but that'd be a little bit of a trip. Maybe there's some spring still putting out water. Uh, but whatever the case, to come up there with, with bucket loads of water for three different times to soak it so well. Uh, and they're in a drought like this, and they're seeing the waters just drip down. It's sopping wet. And Elijah prayed, and fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Right? So the people finally make a decision. They don't care that Ahab's there. They see this miracle and they are convinced and they bow and praise to God. The Lord, he is God. God's on the move. I just on a mountaintop experience. This is powerful. This is wonderful. Revival is taking place among the people. He is so excited. So Elijah says, seize the prophets of Baal. And they do. The people go and they gather these 450 prophets and Elijah has them all executed. Judgment and justice taking place. Verse 42, Elijah put his face between his knees and the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. He had to pray three times. Again, there's a longer story to it. Uh, but he prays and it rains. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Verse 45, Ahab rode to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he ran ahead of Ahab. This is a 10-hour walk and he's running ahead of him in the rain through the storm, through the mud. And he's running, he's outrunning his horses. And running ahead of the king in his chariot. This is the power of the Lord came upon Elijah. Again, he's seen so many miracles, so much experience. Being fed with ravens and fed with oil and flour that's not running out miraculously. Seeing a child raised from the dead. Seeing fire come down from God out of heaven, burning up the stones and everything and the dust and the licking up all the water and the offering. The people giving their hearts to the God. People getting rid of the prophets of Baal. The rain coming just as he prayed. The rain not coming when he prayed. Rain coming when he prayed. Being spared. King Ahab not killing him and letting him do this whole thing. The rain coming down, then having this, the Spirit of the Lord upon him and just running miracle after miracle. This is a mountaintop experience, right? He's on a high. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah did. And Jezebel said, wow, that is so amazing. I wish I was there. I can't believe I missed it. Oh, bring Elijah in to tell me all about it too. He needs to pray for me. I need to give my heart to God. Wow, he is truly the true God. Wouldn't that be nice? But that's not what happened. And Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, let the gods do to me and more also if I do not slay you by tomorrow at this time. And Elijah said, send her back a message. God has spared me for three and a half years. God's able to spare me another day and then your curse will come down upon yourself. But no, 
That's not what happens either. Elijah ran for his life and went to Beersheba. And then he went a day's journey into the wilderness. And Elijah sat down and prayed that he might die. Wow. Wishing he's dead. Suicidal thoughts. Praying for God to take his life. How on earth can he go from such a high, such seeing all those miracles, experiencing all that, wanting to be dead? We saw Jonah wanting to be dead and prayed to be dead and throw me overboard. We'll see with Moses, see with Jeremiah. It's not unusual to have thoughts that would be better off not being here, of dying. So when those thoughts come into our minds, we don't have to allow it to shake us too much. We don't follow through with it. <laughs> don't dwell on it too much. But it's basically, on this sinful planet, normal. Not that normal is good, but there are times in our lives where we just sometimes feel like giving up. We need to realize where that whispering's coming from. It's coming from the devil. And again, don't listen to it, don't put up with it. Don't accept it, don't follow through with it. Don't entertain it. Don't be surprised if you hear those thoughts coming into your mind. And Elijah and Moses were on Mount Transfiguration with Yeshua. And this is the thoughts he's having. How could he go from such a mountaintop experience to this low so quickly? Sometimes it's because of the mountaintop experiences. Sometimes when we start running ahead of God and start thinking, wow, this is great, all the people have surrendered, the Lord, he is God, this is going to now, Jezebel's going to, Ahab's now convinced he's on side with, our side with us, and now Jezebel's going to come, we're going to have a revival, the whole nation's going to turn. And he might have been dreaming beyond expectations of God, what God knew would be reality. And then when it didn't take place as he wanted and thought, dreamed of, it set himself up for a crash. And he wasn't prepared. Probably was prepared when I go to King Ahab, he's going to blame me, and so he was ready with an answer. He's probably resistant, uh, expected the resistance of the prophets of Baal. Probably wasn't surprised at the silence of the people. But after all this, he was surprised that the king let the queen threaten him that way, and he ran. We need to walk behind the Lord, trusting him, not putting him in a box. He has to answer this prayer this way. He has to do this because I did this. We have to trust God. And sometimes God takes us through a long way through the wilderness. Sometimes God takes us on a path that doesn't seem to make sense. And oftentimes, I have no idea why this is coming up. This doesn't make sense at all, but I trust God. Right? Not my will, but your will be done. I don't see how this is part of your plan. I don't know why this is going on, why you're allowing this. But we need to learn to trust God and surrender to him and be content with him and his will. 
that's how we see Yeshua was. He wasn't elated by applause. He didn't get puffed up when the multitudes were following him. He still told the plain truth. Eat of my, bread, eat of my body, drink of my blood. The disciple, everyone left him. He didn't become insecure. Oh, no, 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 I didn't really mean that. <laughs> told the disciples, you want to leave also? You can go too. He was secure because he remembered, kept in his mind. But the Heavenly Father said at his immersion, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And nothing else matters. It doesn't matter what the crowd say. It doesn't matter what others say. And similarly, when the people left, he didn't become despondent. When his disciples ran away from him and left him to die on his own, be captured, when, when one of his disciples turns him in, he didn't allow it to disappoint him. He stayed on an even keel because he knew his place with God. That's where, again, when God is fulfilling our need and our loneliness, and then we're not dependent on others, then no matter if the others let us down, we will still be solid on the rock and not be shaken. Because it's not uncommon for the ones we put the most trust in, the ones we open up the most to, the ones we give our love to the most, are the very ones who hurt us the most at times. And if our love cup is filled from them, and again, they're never able to fill it, but if we're getting some sort of satisfaction from their love, and then if that stops, whether because of death or disappointment, on, and they turn tails on us and become traitors on us, we won't be thrown into a loop because our dependency is not on them. But if our dependency is, it will throw us for our balloon. But if our dependency is on God, people can come and go. We'll be happy or sad, but it won't throw us off. It won't throw us into a pit. We'll be able to keep, again, on a level stream, trusting in the Lord. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Elijah wasn't in that mindset at this point, and thus he has this collapse take place. And thinks rather to be dead than be alive. And suicide, I want to say something about suicide. And I know suicide is a very sensitive topic, uh, especially uh, if any of us have a loved one who committed suicide. Uh, or if we ourselves have attempted suicide. But I think it's important for me to say anyway, and I hope I don't offend anyone with it, uh, because if we understand the door that opens the way for us to have those kind of thoughts, to even attempt to do the unthinkable, we realize the door that, that sets the stage for that, then we'll be able to keep that door closed. And so, in a very real way, suicide is a very selfish act. And that might be shocking and surprising to some because we think, well, the person's not being selfish. They, they hate themselves. They don't want to live. <laughs> but it's because we're thinking about ourselves. And that's all we're thinking about. We're not thinking about all those that are going to be affected by us not being around anymore. We may say, nobody cares, but... Uh, it's very rare that there's a funeral when no one else is there. No one else will be affected, but other people are always affected. 
even people we might not even know yet, that God has planned for us to meet. At this point in time, Elijah has not yet met Elijah. And if God heard and answered his prayer and God let him die here, he never would have been able to train Elisha and pass the torch. And so there are people in our lives that we haven't even met yet that God wants to use us in ministering to or to be ministered to by. And if we cut that short, we cut God's plan short because we're, again, just thinking of ourselves and we're not thinking of God's plan. We're not thinking about these other people we might meet in the future. We're not thinking about the people we're interacting with now. We might be thinking, well, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this. And I don't want to deal with this any longer. And then, and then the, the problems will just stop. I won't have to deal with them anymore. Well, they don't stop. Someone else will have to deal with them. That debt or that problem or whatever will have to be dealt by somebody somewhere. And so we're really just passing it on to someone else. But again, we're not thinking of that because we're not really caring about them. We're caring only about ourselves. And so while it's a self-inflicted wound, it's again because we think, I don't deserve this. <laughs> Poor me. They shouldn't be doing this to me. I shouldn't be having all this happen on me. I'm experiencing no one else can understand me. <laughs> because it's all about me at that point in time in our life. And when we understand that and realize that and see that that's the trap door, when we hear ourselves all centered in self, by God's grace, we can turn from that and turn our eyes to the Lord and away from self and confess it. Lord, I am being very selfish. All I'm thinking about myself and how this is affecting me and not how it's affecting others, not how it's affecting you. Not thinking about how you, what plans you have, how you're going to work this out together for good, how you're going to get the honor and glory out of this. And so I surrender my selfishness to you. Take it away from me. Remove it away from me. Give me God-centered thoughts. Give me other, other people-centered thoughts. To love you, to love others. And God will do that. And that's the miracle of God. That is the real power of God. More so than the raising of the dead or the making oil and flour continue. You know, the, the distance that he goes here, also Elijah, to get to Beersheba, that's a 40-hour walk, over 40 hours. So if he's doing even 10 hours a day, that's at least four days, and then he goes another day out into the wilderness. And it's interesting, he goes to Beersheba, where God spoke to Abraham directly, personally. God spoke to Isaac, God spoke to Jacob at that location. Powerful, powerful place in the Bible. And then he goes another day's journey. So five days, he's off on his own and traveling, at least. In chapter, First Kings chapter 19, verse 5. As he slept, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And there by his head was a bread and a jug, a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. The mercy of God. Here he is, he's blown it. All these people, the Lord is God, and now they don't know what to think. If he would have stood to Jezebel, maybe the revival that he was wanting would have taken place. People might have thrown Jezebel out the window and she would have died and revival would have continued. 
for the mercy of the Lord? God didn't say, well, that jerk, he went off on his own. I'll go get someone else. Let me find Elijah on my own. <laughs> no, God stayed with Elijah. God loves us, even when we make mistakes. The mercy and the love of God. Sometimes we allow our guilt to weigh us down because we blew it. We beat ourselves up, kick ourselves. Come to the Lord, accept his forgiveness, confess the sins, accept the Messiah's death in your place. Allow the mercy and forgiveness of the Lord to flood over your life. Receive his Holy Spirit and move on. So God sends this angel and brings him food and water. Elijah wakes up, sees that. They took an angel shaking him to get him up. <laughs> he eats and sleeps, he eats and drinks and goes back to sleep. How can he go back to sleep? There with his angel, I wanted to ask the angel some questions. <laughs> when he commune with his angel. How can he do that? How can he go back to sleep? What do you think? He's depressed, right? He's depressed. Right? When we're depressed, we can sleep through anything, right? Jonah in the bottom of the ship in the middle of a storm, depressed. He's depressed. And so he just doesn't even acknowledge the angel. He just goes back to sleep. He eats a little bit, drinks a little bit. He goes back to sleep. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back the second time, touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. He arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb. Mount Horeb, where God gave the Ten Commandments. It's another powerful place. At least he's choosing good sites to go to. A nice Israel tour that he's going on. Biblical tour. Seeking God. God, you spoke to Abraham, speak to me. God spoke to Moses, speak to me. He's seeking him out. Now, it's about an 80-hour walk from Beersheba. I don't know what direction he went in a day's journey from Beersheba, but 80 hours from Beersheba to Mount Horeb. It doesn't take 40 days to walk 80 hours. So either he did that walk in eight days or two weeks and then went into the cave for four weeks, although the English nor the Hebrew kind of seems to indicate that, or he wandered around for 40 days, reliving the experience of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They're there 40 days wandering around. But either way, he's self-isolating. Wandering around or in the cave for a long time. And then at the end of 40 days, or he's out of Mount Horeb, at least by the end of the 40 days, and he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? It's a good question. God in his mercy and love is following him. Sent the angel twice. He goes off another distance away. God still comes to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Is this where I told you to go? Ahab's in the other direction. Jezebel's the other direction. The people that you need to minister to are in the other direction. What are you doing over here? What doest you over here, Elijah? Is this what I called you to? Is this why I made you a prophet of the Lord? What are you doing here? 
drawing him out, kind of like with Adam and Eve. Where are you? Why are you hiding? And Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. See the center there? I. I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. I alone am left. They seek to take my life. This is the second time he said something similar on Mount Carmel. Now he's saying it right to God. And he's not even really acknowledging God. God's speaking to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he's talking about God like he's not even there. I have been zealous for the Lord God of hosts. Can't even think of who he's talking to. Because again, he's all wrapped in self. Having a pity party. And the problem with pity parties is those who come don't bring gifts. <laughs> so... And not too many people want to be at a pity party. But he's there all alone, pitying himself, self-isolating, hiding in the cave. I alone am left. They seek to take my life. And the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces. But the Lord was not in the wind. Then the earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Then a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still, small voice. God's able to do all those things. God's able to bring an earthquake upon Jezebel. God's able to bring fire down from heaven and consume the altar. God's able to part the earth and drop Moses' cousin and all those rebellious ones into it. God's able to do all those things. God's able to blow a wind and part the Red Sea and let the Red Sea close in on the Egyptians. God's able to do all, all that's easy stuff. Making auto, uh, birds feed you and, and uh, oil and flour last, that's, that's nothing for God. It's the still small voice upon the heart of humans that changes us, that transforms us, that guides us and directs us. That's where the power of God is in seeing lives transformed and seeing lives changed. When Elijah heard God say, go to Ahab, and he went. Go to the brook Terath, and he went. Go to Sidon, and he went. Go back to Ahab, and he went. That's where the power of God is. Not in the big miracles. Not in the parting of the seas. Not in the big judgments. And the same in our lives. We might be looking for some big thing to happen. Some miracle to happen, a big healing to take place, or something to take place, or to bring down and corrupt leaders and whatever. But that's not where the power of God is. The power of God is in changing you, changing me. That's where the power of God is. That's where the miracles are. We need to hear God's voice. We need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. We need to be in tune with the Word of God and heed it by His strength and His power and follow it by his grace. And so God comes to him again in this still small voice and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? The same thing he asked him just a few moments before. He didn't accept Elijah's answer. Basically ignored it. So he asks it again. What are you doing here? God's asking us. 
What are you doing here? Why are you here? What is your purpose in life? Why has God created you? Why did he spare you from that car accident? Why did he spare you from that disease? Why did he spare you from that situation? Why are you still alive? What has God called upon you? What is God's purpose in your life? That's what he wants to know. He knows the answer, but he wants to draw it out of us. God has a purpose for each one of us at every stage in our life. No matter how old, no matter where we are, whether we're in a nursing home laying in a bed or maybe a, a young child, whatever the case, wherever we are, busy at work, God has a calling upon us to represent him on this earth and to use the gifts and the talents and abilities that he has given to us, whether we're flat on our bed praying for others, or speaking or talking or ministering or helping or sharing our last meal with someone. Whatever it is, God has a purpose for you and me. Are we in it? Are we in God's will? Are we fulfilling his purpose? So God's question is to us too. What are you doing for him? Are you serving for him? Are you running away from responsibility? Are you running away from his calling? Are you hiding in some cave and, oh, I can't do anything. Let others, others can do it better than me. Others have more time. Others have more resources. Others have more abilities. Let someone else do it. No, that's the minister's job. No, God has called all of us into ministry. God has called all of us to serve. Not trusting in anything else. Trusting in the Lord. Being used by him to empower us and move us forward. And Elijah answers, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. No, I didn't go backwards. This is, <laughs> this is the same answer he gave. <laughs> this has become a revolving tape in Elijah's mind. He's been saying this over and over and over again for 40 days. Poor me. I am alone and left. Nobody else. They seek to take my life. I've been zealous for the Lord. And I am alone. We can fall into that trap. I'm the only one here doing anything. Boy, if it wasn't for me, this place would be a filthy mess. Boy, am I the only one who can clean up? Because I'm the only one who sees this stuff on the floor. Am I the only one who can put things in the right place? Am I the only one who can take care of this? Boy, if it wasn't for me, I'm sure this business would close down. I don't know how they'll get by without me. I, I should leave them and show them that they don't know what they're doing. I'll teach them a lesson. I'll quit. Let them try and get along without me. I'll leave. Let them try and run this household without me. Let them try and provide for their needs without me. But they can't even tie their shoes. Boy, that congregation will probably close without me. After all I've given or all I've done. And you know what's amazing? There's lots of businesses that were around before us and have continued after us. There's lots of congregations that were there before us and have continued after us. Lots of people who were able to feed themselves before we became their friends or married or whatever, and they survived without us. The world's not dependent on you or me. God wants to use us. God desires to use us. 
for our benefit. Elijah thinks it's all on him, it's all on his shoulders. I'm the only one. And that's not a fact. We're never the only one. Take our eyes away from self. Turn our eyes to the Lord. Take our eyes off of the troubles of this world. Now take a look at your hand. Take a look at the hand. Okay? See it? All right. Now take a look at me. What's bigger, your hand or me? And now hold your hand up towards me, whatever. And now bring it closer to yourself until you can no longer see me. You get to a point where you can no longer see me? Yeah. I'm bigger than your hand. You got to a point where you couldn't see me anymore because your hand was blocking me. We can focus on a problem so much that it becomes so big that it's bigger than God. We get to worrying and fearing and fretting. And that means we've allowed our problem to become bigger than God. Because nothing is impossible for the Lord. Nothing. No problem we face is too big for the Lord. So turn your eyes away from the things of this world. They will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes to heaven. Turn your eyes to Yeshua. Turn your eyes upon him. Look full in his wonderful face. Doesn't mean ignore the problems. Doesn't mean be in denial. Yeah, we got problems. We all got problems. But put them in perspective. God is bigger than the problem. God knows about the problem. God is able to deal with the problem. We turn to him and turn the problem over to him. He will take care of it in his way, in his time. They may direct you to a mechanic or a plumber or an electrician or a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, whatever, or something to work it out. You may take care of it miraculously. You may use human beings. But go to him first and foremost and let him direct your path to find the solution to the problem. Not just focusing on the problem. Start your prayers with praise. And then present the problem. You have a tendency to just start praying with just the problem. Oh God, this, 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 this. He's like, hello? Can you say hi first? <laughs> start praising God. Make God bigger in your mind. Remind yourself of his glory and his grace and all that he has done. And then present the problem, whatever it is. And the problem you're going through now will most likely pass on, just like the other problems we've faced in our lives will come and go. You know that bully at school is the end of the world and he's not in your life right now, right? Or that boss or that neighbor or whatever, things come and go. God sees us through as we put our trust in him. But God endures forever. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is consistent. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he, as who parted the Red Sea, he has dealt with all the problems in the past, 
he will take care of our problems in the here and now future and into our future as well. Sometimes it takes him a little while. <laughs> Sometimes it takes him 40 years or whatever, but he'll get us out of Egypt, whatever. He'll take us through. Wait upon the Lord. So let's look at the hits that Elijah might have been experiencing. So genetic, we don't know his family history. Developmental, we don't know his childhood. Lifestyle, uh, if he went into that cave for a long period of time, during those 40 days, he might have been experiencing lifestyle of low exercise, low sunlight, and fresh air. Uh, but if not, then he had plenty of sunlight, plenty of exercise, and plenty of fresh air. Circadian rhythm, well, we saw he'd been, he was sleeping a lot, oversleeping. That could have been a problem. Addiction, we have no record of him drinking alcohol and those other drugs weren't around then. Nutrition, high cholesterol, high fat, high sugar, no. Low tryptophan, low omega-3, low vitamin B, low folic acid, not after he ate the angel food, but maybe prior to eating the angel food when he was suicidal. We don't know how long he had eaten before that. Again, it was five days that he was, at least five days from running from Jezebel and, and all the it was taking place the day before that on Mount Carmel, so uh, he might have been low on food, proper food sources. Toxic. We don't have idea. We don't have his, his uh, urine sample, so we don't know that. But uh, I do want to point out that bismuth is there under toxic. Now, under nutrition, it's high cholesterol, high fat, and high sugar. And today, what's pushed on us in every grocery store and every commercial and driving down the road and every fast food chain is high cholesterol, high fat, and high sugar. They push that and push that and push that. Commercials trying to brainwash us that this is what we want, this is what you want. High fat, high sugar, high cholesterol. And then the next commercial is for Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pepto-Bismol has bismuth in it. And so if we continue to eat all that garbage, that the American lifestyle shoves down our throat, then we'll have to take a lot of Pepto-Bismol, and then we'll have not only a nutrition hit, we'll have a toxic hit. The devil tries to get us with a one-two punch to American lifestyle. Social grief. Well, he was definitely experiencing that. Elijah was under a lot of stress, thinking they're going to try and kill him, that they're going to kill him. He feels like he has no support. I am all alone in the Lord God. He's talking to the Lord God. I've been alone, all alone and the Lord, serving the Lord God. He's not even acknowledging God. He's feeling all alone. And he's experienced great loss because he had this great expectation. Probably. This great revival was going to take place and when it didn't, he was grieving that it didn't work out how he had planned. So he's got social grief. Medical, we don't have his uh, medical history. And again, that would be a third thing that we'd all get if we continue to eat American lifestyle diet. Uh, all that high fat, high sugar, high cholesterol will end up with heart problems and strokes and diabetes. Frontal lobe, low carb, high protein, probably not. TV, definitely not. Internet wasn't a problem for him. Sex wasn't a problem. High amount of it. Syncopated music was not, probably not a problem. Low abstract thinking very well could be, if all he's thinking all day and all night is, I alone have been fellas for the Lord God of Israel, and I have been serving him, and, and they're wanting to take my life. That's all he's been thinking, and he hasn't thinking outside the box, and he's not thinking abstractly 
for six or so weeks now. And acting against conscience, he may be still experiencing uh, remorse and guilt over not fulfilling the Lord's duty and standing up to Jezebel. He might be feeling guilt for running away. And again, I no doubt blew it. We don't know how many people will be lost who are saying, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And then they see Elijah run and Jezebel back in power and I bet they shut their mouths again and totally annihilated the great revival. But God is merciful to Elijah, but we don't know what, how it played out for those other people. How important for us to be in tune with God all the time. So he might be feeling guilt over that. He hasn't surrendered that yet. And so some of those hits he might have been experiencing. And again, we look at this not so much to analyze Elijah, but to allow this list to remind us of what might be in our lives. I was talking with someone recently. They said they had six or seven of these things. And so it's good to look over this list and see, well, what can I do? What can, by God's grace, can God give me the ability to change and take off of that list and bring those numbers down and keep them down? We want them as low as possible because we never know when we're going to experience some great loss or something and have that become a hit. So we want as few hits as possible all the time. So back to Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 15. The Lord said, Go anoint Hazel as king over Syria, anoint Jehu as king over Israel, and anoint Elisha as prophet in your place. I have reserved 7,000 whose knees have not bowed to Baal. That's 14,000 knees that haven't bent to Baal. So he's not alone. He's not the only one. And if we'd stop looking at ourselves, we'd see there are other people who are serving the Lord. It might be a remnant. It might be few. It might be a narrow and few there be that go therein. But nonetheless, we're never alone. God always has a remnant serving him. And so God points him in that direction and shows him there's other people. And they got problems too. They're dealing with Jezebel too. They're dealing with Ahab too. They're dealing with these prophets of Baal too. They've had their problems as well. You're not the only one with problems. I don't know if you ever experienced that trying to help someone who's going through depression. They're telling you their problems and, oh, my problem, oh, it's worse than anyone ever. Oh, you don't know. You can't imagine what I'm going through. And you try and share other experiences, maybe your own or someone else. You try and point, this guy has got no arms, no legs, and, you know, and he's still happy, and it doesn't sink in. It never seems to work. <laughs> you know, they just, no, no, no. But my problem is so big. My problem, no one knows. The trouble I've seen. <laughs> and maybe we don't, but Yeshua does. God does know. And he was tempted in all ways like as we are. But God tries it on them anyway. God says, there's 7,000 who haven't bent the knee to Baal. They're going through problems too. And I don't need you. I'm going to replace you, as a matter of fact. I'm going to replace you with Elisha. <laughs> you think you're the only one I can depend on? You think you're the only one? Look, I'm going to fire you. I'm going to retire you. I want you to train this other guy. <laughs> I put him in his place. And God still used Elijah. And God still did the number of miracles through Elijah. And then takes him away, brings him up to heaven with him miraculously and passes the torch to Elisha, who receives a double portion, and God does even more miracles, even more things through Elisha. And so God doesn't need us. God didn't need Elijah. God can do it on his own if he wants. He wants to use us, again, for our benefit. 
was for Elijah's benefit, that God kept chasing him down and coming after him and calling him to go back and to do these things. So God put him to work. God gave him a work to do and put him in contact with others. But again, God was first. God met him in the cave. And when he started connecting with God and communicating with God, then God was able to entrust him to others, not the other way around. Again, it's not getting a spouse or getting friends. It's getting God. And then God letting and directing us to the right friends and the right fellowship that we need. God put him to work for him in service for him. And so we look at the list of things that God did for Elijah to get him back on track. God gave him good food. God gave him water. God let him rest. God gave him exercise. And God gave him sunlight. Good recipe. Now at uh, Weimar Institute, where Dr. Nedley does the live-in uh, uh, depression and, uh, and anxiety recovery program, they also have a parallel program called New Start. And New Start, New Start's an acronym. New Start stands for N for nutrition, good nutrition. Uh, e for exercise. W for water. Second word, start. S for sunlight, proper amount. T for temperance, not too much sunlight. <laughs> uh, temperance, the right amount, avoiding all harmful things, right amounts of good things. A for air, R for rest. And the last T for trust in God. New start. Pretty simple formula, and, but does amazing things. I used to work at Weimar, and uh, as a student there as well, and I've seen miraculous changes take place. People with diabetes in a few weeks, following just that simple new start formula, the diabetes reverse. I've seen heart patients, their blood pressures drop, their cholesterol levels drop, uh, their needs of medication dramatically drop, people overweight, uh, getting in shape. Amazing, amazing things. Just following God's simple eight remedies, uh, which give us that balance. And then it takes care of several of the hits of depression, just following those simple things. And those are the things that God did and put Elijah on. God put him in the Bible, got him back talking with him. God started speaking with him. God speaks to us through his word. We need to be in the word of God on a daily basis, reading and listening to God, communing with him, experiencing him. God reminded him that everyone has problems. We're not the only one. Problems is a part of life on this fallen planet. All who live godly in Yeshua the Messiah will suffer persecution. So don't be surprised when you have a problem. It's part of life. Just give it over to the Lord and continue through it. I don't know if I said it recently, but if I know I've said it at times. If you're going through hell, don't stop. Keep going, right? Keep going right on through the other side, right? If everyone has problems, if you have problems, it's okay. Just keep on going. Just keep on trucking on. Trusting in the Lord. Keeping your eyes on the light. And just keep on moving. Don't settle down there and get stuck there. And dwelling on it. The world is not on our shoulders. I alone. It's not on our shoulders. It's not on your shoulders. Yeshua says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is life. He will carry the yoke with us. He will carry the weight. 
He will walk us through. It's not on us. It's not what we have to do. It's what we have to allow God to do in us and through us, trusting in him. God is in charge. Not Ahab, not Jezebel, not Elijah. God's in charge. Not your boss, not your landlord, not your mayor, not your governor, not your government leaders. They're not in charge. God's in charge. Trust in him. He will override everything according to his will and his timing. God is all-powerful. He can bring earthquakes. He can bring storms. He can bring fire. He can burn up the altar. He can provide food and water. God is all-powerful. He's all-present, all-powerful, all the time. God speaks to us by his still, small voice. We need to be listening. Sometimes we pray and then we just get up. We need to pray and then pause. Like God to speak back to us. Listen to him. Commune with him. Converse with him. God is forgiving and merciful. Don't carry the guilt. Give it over to him. Accept Yeshua's death for the forgiveness and the removal of it. God-empowered obedience is powerful. Again, it's not the miracles, it's not the power of God, the moving of everything, the parting of the seas, it's God changing our heart. That's where the power is. Let him change our heart. Let him take out our heart of stone and our fears and give it over to him. Let him give us faith and courage and boldness. Work is good. It's good to serve the Lord. God gave Adam and Eve work in the Garden of Eden before the fall. It's good to work. Good to be active. And friendships are important. God is first and foremost, and then friendship's important. And to have friends, we've got to be friendly. To so be friendly. Go and befriend others. Become part of a congregation. Be involved in a congregation. And make friends, godly friends, good friends. So, if... In a moment, we're going to pray. And so if you have a tendency to be negative, I suggest you start a journal and each day write down at least one thing you are thankful for and at least one ability or character trait that God manifests through you. You can do this for yourself, but it's also helpful to ask someone else's permission to send it to them. This way you have someone to be accountable to, helping you to be consistent in this practice and giving you good positive feedback. It's good to have a journal. Write down every day what you're thankful for. Every day what God has blessed you with abilities and talents he can use for his honor and glory. I encourage you to do that. Robert and I, we do that on a weekly basis. You can do it on a weekly basis, but daily basis, especially if you're struggling with depression. What are you thankful for? Write it down. Again, get someone to read it. That way, if you don't write to them in a day or two, they'll write back, hey, I didn't hear you thankful from you today. And they'll get an accountability partner. how can your diet or lifestyle be improved? Right? So if God's impressing you some area in your life, your diet or lifestyle can change, get exercise, diet. And in a moment when we pray, ask God to empower you to do so. Have you read from the Bible yet today? If you're not on a daily reading schedule, ask God, surrender that, confess that, and ask God to put you on a daily reading schedule. Are you part of a local congregation? That's important. A fellowship, commitment. And if you're not, uh, certainly welcome to have you here. 
Are you involved? If you are, are you involved in its mission? Important to be involved in God's mission and, and involved not only on our own, God gives us each individual gifts and talents to do, but also in interacting with others in the mission. And if not, how can you be? And if you're not sure, I'd be glad to help you with that. What can you be thankful for today? And is your current problem bigger than God? Now, obviously, we'll say no, but if you're worried about it and fretting about it and thinking about it all the time, then it has become bigger than God. Yeah, it's good to think about and think of a solution, praying about it, but not being worn down with worry and fear over it. And to whom are you currently ministering? And again, if we say nobody, and pray, God, lead me to someone who has more needs than I do, or maybe other needs than I, that I can fill. You might have needs, they might have needs, maybe you have more than them, but you can still serve in some way, shape, or form. And all of us need to be serving and ministering to somebody else. And so pray about that. And so the moment when we pray, if any of these areas apply to you, and let God do his miracle through his still small voice, through his Holy Spirit, and change you and bring you into harmony in that area in your life. Let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you that you're merciful and loving towards us. We're thankful, Lord, that you are almighty and all present. We're thankful that you're here with us. Thank you that you've followed us and have kept with us. Thank you that you've never left us nor forsaken us. Thank you that you've called each one of us and that you've given each of us a measure of faith and that you've given each of us at least one talent. So Lord, we surrender our lives to you, asking that you use us for your honor and glory. Lord, we want to surrender our problems to you and ask that you'll guide and direct us to solutions. Lord, we want to confess our mistakes and the times we've ran away and not been obedient to your call, not gone and ministered to those that you've called us to, those times that we've worried and we've fretted, and not surrendered the problem to you. We accept your forgiveness because of the death of your son. We thank you, Yeshua, for dying for us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, empower us with faith, and move us forward in your mission and being a blessing to others. Keep our eyes steadfast on you. Keep us from running ahead or lagging behind. Walk us in your power and in your might. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.